0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I wanna thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. All right, Matthew chapter 16. Uh, we've been taking the last several weeks to dive into the, uh, you know, ultimately the purpose and the power of the church. If I was just gonna give a generic Title or reference to what we've been talking about, understanding that you've always got to go back to the beginning and you've got to go back to the manufacturer if you really want to discover the purpose for something. And the power for anything always lies in its purpose. Um, One of my favorite quotes, uh, you've heard me quote it many times where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Anytime we do not achieve or understand the purpose for something, we run the risk and tend to abuse that. That means what was designed to be helpful becomes hurtful, okay? You know, use something simple like, you know, an Advil, an ibuprofen. Uh, You know, there are instructions. There is a purpose for which ibuprofen was designed, but If we do not understand the purpose for it, we run the risk of misusing it. Therefore, something that was designed to help us by taking two every four to six hours as needed. Now we become addicted to or it's doing something to our bodies that was not supposed to be affecting our body in that manner. And so we recognize that I don't understand the purpose for it. Therefore, I misuse it. I abuse it. Um, I'm not following the directions. And then, you know, what we usually do is we blame the thing rather than blaming the one using the thing. So if you don't understand the purpose for your spouse, you'll abuse them. Maybe not physically, but we will misuse them by having improper expectations and not using it according to how the Word of God designed the marriage covenant to operate. If we don't understand the purpose for parenting and for our children, we will abuse them. Again, maybe not physically, verbally, uh, you know, in those uh, more... Uh, you know, familiar ways, but we abuse the system of parenting and raising up children, understanding that it is our goal to impart to them the awe of God, showing them how awesome God is and the purpose that he has for their lives. Okay, if we don't know the purpose for our job, we will abuse our job. Because you think you go to work Monday through Friday, nine to five, punch a clock to make a check, and that's not why you have a job. I'm getting a lot of blank stares right now. You're like, I've been doing this for 37 years. I've been going to the same place. What do you mean I'm not making a check? You will make a check, but you get paid to make influence. It's really not what you take from the job, but what you bring to the job is really the purpose of the job. But I can't get into that today. If we don't understand the purpose for church, then we will abuse the church. If I don't understand the purpose for a pastor, then we will abuse the pastor. If we don't understand the purpose for congregants and membership and partnership, yesterday we saw 10 people join the church through vision partnership yesterday, and we, we line upon line un, help them understand why am I partnering with a local church? Why can't I just be a rogue Christian? Why can't I just go wherever I want to go and be isolated and do this thing on my own? Why do I have to be a part of a community? You know, why do I have to be, uh, you know, doing this on a regular basis and going there on Sunday mornings and taking time out and then volunteering and giving my tithe and my? If we don't understand the purpose of these things, then we eventually will misuse them and abuse them. They will not prove the desired result and you know what we do when we don't get a result? We quit. We quit our marriages because we don't get the result. We quit parenting because we don't get the result. We quit our churches because we don't get the result. We quit taking medicine because we don't get the result. We quit going to see a doctor. We quit attending church. We quit, you quit jobs and start a new one. We, 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 we live in a perpetual state of if I don't get the desired result, I move on to something until I get the desired result like that until I don't get that desired result and move on. And we live in this perpetual state of chasing where God wants you more satisfied than you can even imagine. God wants you more blessed than you can even imagine. God wants you more fruitful than you can even imagine. God wants you more increasing, advancing, and growing than you can even imagine. But we have to understand the purpose of these things. And so in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus speaks of the church for the very first time, I'm going to read this to you out of the Passion Translation. He says it this way in verse 18, 16 verse 18. I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this rock will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. And last week we, we took a deeper look into what does that mean to be a part of his church? Because what this shows us is Jesus takes his church personally. He takes, he takes the building and the manifesting and the increasing of his church personally. That means I've got to refer to him if I really want to understand what the church is supposed to look like. You know, I, I have come to learn that although the the enemy enjoys when someone remains lost and never comes into the kingdom. I think a further tactic of the enemy is to come into something, but then live that thing according to your own definition. It's called religion. Sure, he would rather you never find out about Jesus and the redemptive work that he has obtained for your life, the restoration that's available when you come out of darkness into light, when you come out of bondage into freedom. Yeah, he would love for you to just stay stuck out there. But even a step further, he loves when you come into a thing and then redefine it and recreate it according to your preferences and your standards. That's what the Pharisees did. Because here's the danger in that. I'm going through the motions as if I'm moving towards God, yet I have no element of God whatsoever. Now that's a whole other level of deception. It's one thing to be lost and not be found in darkness and never know light. But then to come into the light and then start to take your own path on something. You know, at at the end of the day, I think that we all have definitions Different definitions of things that God has established a standard for. You know, prayer could be one of those. Well, I pray. I have a prayer life. Okay. Let me ask you. Your definition or God's definition? You see what I mean? Marriage. Yeah, I have a, I have a healthy marriage. Okay. Your definition or God's definition? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a church goer. I'm a church member. I'm, I'm in the kingdom of God. Okay, your definition or God's definition? And I can tell you, you know, out of the two, God's not bending on his. <laughs> God, God's not coming off his. He never has. He never will. He'll always come back. See, you know, the, the world's trying to redefine things today. We, we get in this mode of redefining because we think God operates like us. We think that God is progressive in nature. You see, God's not progressive. He was at the end when he started. But you and I are progressive in our discovery and progressive in our learning and are progressive in, 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 our progressive in finding out what this kingdom life is all about. But God is already at the end of this thing. He's already established the standard. He's already established the standard for the home. So he doesn't need us stepping in to mess this thing up and saying, well, maybe you could think you're of a different sex than you really are, or maybe we could love more than just the opposite sex. Or, or maybe we could have two dads and two moms and and all this this messed up confusion and perversion. That's taking place when, you know, sometimes I I see this stuff happening and I just think to myself, it was just much easier when it was just man and woman. (laughs) It's just easier. Like you're making it way more complicated than it has to be. We're trying to solve problems that never needed to be created. Should a man that thinks he's a woman be allowed to perform in women's sports. You need to go back to losing in men's sports. I mean, let's just say it how it is. You got tired of third and fourth place in the men's category, so you want to get first place in the women's. I mean, come on. Are we? This is a problem we shouldn't even be needing to solve right now. It was much easier when... Boys played boys sports and girls played girls sports. Okay? So the world wants to recreate and redefine. And God's saying, I'm not going to redefine nothing. I set the standard from the beginning. I knew what it would look like in the end, and that's the way it needs to be. And so the same, the same uh, uh, thought process has to be applied to the church. The same thought process that we don't get to come in and recreate the mission and the purpose of the church. You know, I had someone tell me, this was just recently, it was within the last year. Um, You know, they were attending our church for a while and, and began to discover that, you know, we are a Holy Spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-moving church, which, you know, They all ought to be. But he was bringing up the fact that, you know, we we believe in speaking in other tongues and we do that openly in our services. And, you know, he made this statement. He said to me, he said, you know, Pastor Mark, I just, I don't know if this is a church I could bring my friends to because of what might happen or what they might think. And so I just responded back to him, and I just said, you know, honestly, I'm not trying to create a church that's already familiar to your lost friends. I mean, is that really our approach? Is that Look, I understand relevance and relatability, and creating an, an atmosphere that's welcoming and that people can feel comfortable walking into. But, but am I really trying to create an environment in here that they're already familiar with, that has no level of disruption whatsoever? I, I just, I told him, I said, you know, I'll be honest you might be surprised that your friends are looking for something that's far distinct from what they're already living in on a daily basis. You, you might be more surprised that they're up for change more than you think they are. That they're looking for something that's different. They've tried everything else. They've tried every drug. They've tried every drink. They've tried every relationship. They've tried every seance. They've tried every credit card. They've tried every job. They've tried moving all over the place. They've tried getting, you know, schooling and promotions. And they've tried all the wealth. They've tried all the stuff. They've tried all the homes. They've tried. They're looking for Jesus. And sometimes what you're looking for is so far distinct from everything you're stuck in that you're willing to accept, man, if they talk in a different language, I'm okay with that. I need something different in my life because the languages I listen to on a daily basis aren't helping me. They're not producing any results. They're keeping me stuck right where I was the whole time. They're running circles. Sometimes they're looking for something that is that distinct and different. You'd be surprised at what your lost friends can tolerate. You know, it's funny, because in Acts chapter 2, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, it said that the people down in the street were mocking them because they looked like they were drunk. So, I mean, if you want to talk about familiar, if you want to talk about relating, hey, they look like all my drunk friends at the bar the other night, slurring their speech, staggering all over the place, can't tell left from right. But I can tell you what, when we get filled with the Spirit, there is no hangover. And apparently when you are inebriated with the Holy Ghost, you can bring 3,000 more people into the kingdom of God. I'm up for that. I'll take that all day long. If it helps me advance the kingdom, if it helps me turn a city upside down, if it helps make Jesus glorified, you better believe it. But the first church service had to be explained. Go look at it, it says, and then Peter began to explain, this is what's happening here. This is what the prophet Joel prophesied. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. He had to explain it to him. I wonder if our services would need to be explained to the world. I wonder if our operation would need to be, we'd have to sit down and explain. You know, I've I've made this statement before, but if Jesus came to most of our churches, he wouldn't know what we're doing. He wouldn't relate. See, am am I trying to relate to the world more than I'm trying to be a reflection of heaven? Am I trying to relate to the world more than I'm trying to be a representation of Jesus? And in an effort to relate, we have compromised and crippled our capacity to reflect. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move toward reflecting Jesus, and I'm going to let Jesus relate to their brokenness. Let G- You know, Jesus never did one drug, never slept with one person, fornicated, committed adultery. Jesus was never... Uh, you know, wandering around with the mockers and those that perform wickedness, yet he reached them in the deepest ways possible. Isn't that amazing? I remember growing up. You know, I, I grew up in church, and I grew up with a, with 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 a great, you know. Uh, Church relationship and value for the things of the Lord. You know, I have wandered, I've I've strayed, I've had times of, of of sinfulness and just choosing my own way, but ultimately I've been pretty sheltered. And I used to challenge myself in this and just say, you know, what's my testimony? I mean, this person's got this great testimony of coming out of addiction and 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 going through this and 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 look how the Lord redeemed them. And, and here I, you know, I don't have much of a testimony. And the Lord reminded me, he said, well, I didn't do any of those things either. And yet I was still able to reach people. We buy this lie that I can only relate to those that I have struggled with. No, no. I may not have struggled as you have struggled, and I may not be going through the things you're going through, and I may not be, ch- but you know what? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know how I can relate to you? I was once a lost sinner living my own way, and it may not have been uh, you know, as sensational and as fanatical as some. Some of y'all have lived for the devil real well. Some of y'all are willing to admit it, Randy. Some of y'all are willing to, hey, He'll tell you, if I give him the microphone right now, we will have some church. I'll tell you right now. He will tell you his testimony. He will tell you coming out of darkness into light. Chris, you got you a testimony, man. There are testimonies all across this room. There's brokenness you don't even know. We put on our Sunday dress and we look all cool and clean. But there's so much brokenness in this room. And he redeemed us. He restored us. He reunited us with the king. He brought us the kingdom back to this earth. He put it within you and said, now go do that for someone else. We're all lost and sinful. And he's brought us back. He's redeemed us. Y'all hearing me this morning? So I'm not trying to build a place that relates to culture. My, my message this morning is the disruptive nature of the church, the disruptive nature. You know, we just talked about rude revival at the end of last year, talking about how revival can be rude. It's disruptive in nature. And I believe when the church is really fulfilling their assignment, we will be doing more disrupting than conforming. I'm talking about a church that goes into the highways and the byways and transforms what's around it. It doesn't conform to what's around it. Just for reference sake, you know Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That there are one of two ways that I can go. In this world, I can become like what's around me or I can change what's around me by becoming more like him. And so we're discovering this purpose going back to Matthew 16, verse 18 in the Passion. He says, I will build my church, my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I love the fact that right out the gate, he lets you know. That. You are an assembly of the kingdom of God. It's not just a building, not just an event, but we are literally the people of God assembling ourselves and coming together. And then he lets you know that the greatest power on earth is still too weak to stop what my church is going to do. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That means the gates of hell will not be able to stand or withstand what my church is bringing and doing. He went all the way to the top. You have to understand that Jesus has given to you more power than can even be imagined. The church. Now, I know that might be tough to reconcile with the week you've had what you might be currently struggling with or what might be going on in your life. But I'm here to remind you, I'll be your weekly reminder. You can come here every week and get your weekly reminder that you're stronger than you think you are. You can do more than you believe you can. You have more than you believe you have. And if you will step into that and walk into that, you will become everything that God has called you to be. And you'll start crushing everything around you. The church's mission is twofold. It's to bring the kingdom and it's to destroy the works of the devil. And it's the same position. It's the same assignment. As I'm bringing the kingdom, I'm destroying the works of the devil. And I want to see gates of hell all over Valdosta come down. I want to see gates of hell in our businesses come down. I want to see gates of hell come down in our government I want to see gates of hell come down in our education systems. Do you know the stuff they're trying to teach your kids right now? Do you know the indoctrination that's trying to take place? We need a church that can tear down some gates of hell. The answer that the world usually comes up with is just build more gates. But I think we need some gate-tearing Christians that say, That gate can't prevail. That gate can't prevail in my community. I'm I'm talking some serious going into the world and seeing things absolutely, utterly destroyed and taking territory back for the king until he returns. That's what we're talking about. In verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm. You see, that was the next question. That was, a, okay, God, um, so you're, you're establishing us, you're building us upon the rock of the revelation of your word, and um, the gates of hell will not prevail. Uh, how, how am I supposed to get heaven here? I'm glad you asked. I will give you keys to the kingdom of heaven. And everything that I'm asking you to bind on the earth, it's already been bound up there. And everything that I'm asking you to loose into the earth, it's already loosed up there. Meaning this, we got your back, is what he's literally saying. That's literally what that means. Everything we are employing you to do, you will never have to doubt or question or wonder, is God going to back me up? Is heaven going to move on my behalf? We have your back. You just go loose and you just go bind. And if you're doing it according to the word of God, we will make sure it happens. Heaven will move on your behalf. But the responsibility lies with the church. The responsibility lies with the church. And so if we're only coming here for a quick little, you know, three points and a poem and, 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 you know, a couple songs and just checking boxes, we're not going to accomplish what he's put here in Matthew chapter 16. Now, notice he put nothing here about how to establish a church. How to plan a church, what the service should look like, what the paint colors should be, how loud the music should be, how many people is too many people, what ministries and programs does it offer. It has, it has none of that listed here because those would be called the methods. And the methods are what he leaves up to you and I, to our individuality, to our ability to say, at the end of the day, here's the mission. Now, how are you going to go and accomplish that in your area? I mean, you know, Pastor Earl and I, we pastor Anchor Faith Churches. I just told you about Nicaragua. We got three Anchor Faith Churches on the planet. And not one of them operates exactly like the other in method. But I can promise you, all three of them share the same mission. But here's what we do is we allow our methods to override our mission and we become more methodical And our preferences start getting in the way. And what I like and what I don't like. And do they have people that look like me? And, you know, this church is too small. Nope, this church is too big. This music's too loud. And and so we start obtaining to these things rather than asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, where do you need me to plug into and fit into so that I can ultimately bring your kingdom? That's the mission. The mission is not just finding a church. The mission is finding a church that is bringing the kingdom to the earth. That's ultimately the goal. That's ultimately what we are striving to achieve. And again, I bring these things up. I'm not saying this to knock the church in any way. There are great positives and great things that we have learned over the last, you know, couple decades, you know, 10, 20, you know, going on even 30 years now uh, in, in, in how the church has kind of transformed its methods and transformed its efforts into reaching people that was good-hearted intentions. They were good motivations, but at the end of the day, we allowed our preferences to get in the way of our purpose. We allowed our methods to become more important than the mission. And we allowed the world to tell us what church should look like. And so we began changing these things and tweaking these things little by little. I heard someone use this example one time. If you're in construction, you would understand this. Let's say I've got, I'm have got i building a house, and I've got 112-foot boards, and I need to cut them down to nine feet. So I draw my line on the first board. I cut it down. But instead of drawing the line on every board after that, for the next 99 boards, I use the previous board. Well, you know what? By the time I get to 100, I'm going to have a board that's about a foot longer than it needs to be. You see what I'm saying? See, we're not talking about just a complete erratic, turn away from what God's mission was for the church. We're talking about over 2,000 years since the institution of the church. Little by little, we make small incremental adjustments and tweaks based on relevance, based on culture, based on society, based on demographics, based on people, based on preferences, based on time frames. And before you know it, we have a board that looks nothing like the original and it's useless. It can't even be used. I wonder if we've made so many incremental small adjustments that now the model we present for the church looks nothing like the original template Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 16. These are the the challenges that we are addressing. These are the questions that we're trying to bring into a focal point to help us understand it's time to get back to the original purpose, original design, original. Remember, he said, I will build my church. He's personally building his church. So I've got to go to the manufacturer and say, how is this house supposed to be built? Was this room over there? Was that over there? Were you doing this? Were you doing that? What's the function of it? And every time I make an incremental adjustment, I'm moving further away, not just from the purpose, but even from its function how it operates, what it can really do. So these are the things that we are trying to adjust. And when I accept the wrong definition, I will wind up at an inferior result. When I accept the wrong definition, we typically end up with an inferior result. All good things that we've tried to accomplish and achieve, but yet inferior to what Jesus designed us to be and designed us to do. Look at this in Matthew chapter 28. Y'all know this is the Great Commission. We'll start with verse 18. Y'all doing all right? Amen. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority. There it is again. Jesus loved this, this, this element of authority. And almost every single time he sent disciples or deployed people, it was connected to this element of authority. It was connected to this thought that you need to be authorized. See, there's a difference between power and authority. I think I covered this last week. It's all kind of running together. It might even, be, might even have been Wednesday. But it's one thing to have power, but it's another to use that power under the authority or authorization of another. What I mean is um, if you operate in power... Without authority, it's called illegal. If you have not been authorized, you might have the capacity to do something, you might have the ability to do something, but doing it without authorization or being um, sent or having someone above you say, We are sending you to do this on our behalf, then you're doing it illegally. That's what the devil's doing right now. We don't deny that the devil has power. He certainly does, and we see his destructive power all over this earth, don't we? But he's operating in his power illegally. He has not been authorized to do what he's doing. So guess what? God needs someone that has been authorized to restrict and limit, to bind and loose the power that is in the earth today. And so that's why you see this authority popping up so many times. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Then he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, a lot of times we highlight uh, there in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. We highlight the go as the active part of that statement. Go therefore, go, go, be sent, go out. And so we have the whole, you know, Go into all the world and and go into your city and and go beyond the, the four walls of the church. But really, the active part of that sentence is make disciples. The Passion Translation reads it a little bit different in the verse 19. He says, now wherever you go. I don't know how many times I've met Christians that feel inadequate in their walk with God as far as sharing and witnessing the faith, because we take that go into all the world as if meaning every individual shares the responsibility of personally going into all the world. But you know, your backyard needs Jesus just as much as Africa needs Jesus. Your world needs Jesus. making disciples of all nations. That word nations, you know, when we think of nations, we typically think of the geographical boundaries on a map. But what he really means, that that word is the Greek word ethnos, which actually means people. Well, you know, we got a lot of nationalities just right here in the United States of America, being the melting pot that we are, being the place that everybody wants to run to for the you know, the, the American. So we have to understand that this isn't a matter of hopping on a plane every other weekend and finding ourselves in a different geographical location. This is about reaching the people that are in your world, making disciples of all nations, go into all the world. You know, there are times where Jesus will address matters of the church, on an individual basis, where one rule applies to every single person. Like, you are seated together with Christ. That's you individually, Ephesians chapter 2. You've been raised up together. Every single one of us, individually, has been raised up together with Christ when you become a believer, when you come into the kingdom of God. But then there are elements where he's addressing the church Corporately or globally. And so we got to understand that we aren't trying to overextend ourselves. Again, you know, if the enemy can't keep you from doing the right thing, he'll just get you to be burnt out doing the right thing. That's why the Bible tells us do not grow weary while doing good. If the enemy can't keep you from having the right motives and the right intentions and and doing the right thing, he'll just burn the mess out of you while you do it to where you hate it, you reject it, you resist it. Y'all with me? So the, the, the devil is deceptive in his tactics. He comes in the back door. A lot of times we leave that back door, that side door open. We think we got them covered. We're, 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 we're going to church and we're, we're, we're growing in the Lord and we're being discipled and, and we're going to Bible studies. We're going to prayer meetings. We're going to midweek service. We're going to Sunday morning. We're inviting people. We're serving on three different teams at the same time and we're doing all this stuff. And all the while the devil's like, you got about six more months of that and you're going to be hating it. got to recognize the mission of the church is much bigger than you and I. Now, when he says you go into all the world, wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We we don't usually recognize the disruptive nature of that verse because making disciples disciples is more than just making converts. When he made this statement to his disciples, who have now been elevated to apostles because they've been given the capacity to demonstrate and work just as he did, which, by the way, you and I now get to play a part in that as well. When he said make disciples, you know, we, we wish, he said, make converts we wish that he would have just limited to just get people, as many people as possible, to say a prayer and commit their life that when they die from here, they'll go to heaven. And so we always start with the same question, right? If you died today, do you know where you would be? Why do we always start entrance into the kingdom with the end of their life here on earth? Do you know you can enter the kingdom here on the earth and then bring the kingdom to the earth. But there's actually a very disruptive nature to this verse. He's saying make disciples. That's, that, that, that means you are literally getting people to turn away from their way of doing things. And following wholeheartedly after the mission and the purpose of the king and his kingdom. That was no small task. That was no, let's just pack a room with as many as we can, preach a good gospel message, get people to say a prayer, and then, you know, go from there. And if you look at the book of Acts, being a disciple meant dwelling in people's homes. It meant building community amongst one another. It meant sharing of resources with one another. It meant, in turn, helping others uh, uh, understand the gospel, come into the kingdom, and then be empowered by the Holy Spirit. This was actually a sentence that brought more transformation externally than it did internally. That that sentence right there was literally a death sentence. A death sentence. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Now I woke you up because y'all were like, um, okay, what are you saying what am I buying into here? Make disciples. Again, I am making disciples. I witnessed, okay, your definition or God's definition. So we, we, gotta, we have to draw this line with everything we do and say, God, I want to get back to your purpose. I want to get back to your plan. The reason why we're so frustrated with church today is because it's really nothing like what he intended for it to be. But I believe that church is rising up. I believe that there is a remnant being left behind for all the moving from to and fro and all the discontentment and all the bitterness and the hurt and watching leaders, you know, large leaders on large scale capacity, global capacities falling left and right. I think it's just a sifting away and getting back to what really works. What was it really designed to do? And sometimes you just got to clear out some stuff to make that happen. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1, I'm going to read this out of the Christian standard. Verse 1, summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority. There it is again. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive out and to heal every disease and sickness. Ultimately, what is that? Bring in the kingdom. It's reintroducing the earth with the kingdom of God, and it's destroying the works of the devil. I mean, we're healing sick bodies. We're casting out demons, those that are controlled by demonic oppression and demonic forces. And he literally has authorized them to do this. Uh, We jump down to verse 5. Jump down to verse 5. Jesus sent out these 12. After giving them instructions, don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus is very specific and targeted in where these individuals are supposed to go. Your mission as a believer making disciples is actually more specific than it is general. This is why we got to understand that if we're trying to go ye into all the world, you will constantly feel inadequate and like you're not accomplishing the plan of God for your life. But if you will take us, find the small drill down to the specific group that God wants you to touch. I hate it when I see stay-at-home moms act like they don't have purpose in the earth. Because guess what? You are taking the kingdom into that home with those kids on a daily basis. And you're not just changing diapers. And you're not just making lunches. And you're not just feeding bottles. And you're not just laying them down for naps three times a day. You are introducing them to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords in every facet possible. You might find that the mission God has you on is more specific than you think it is. Well, I've only got two employees. Then you are going to minister to those two employees as if it's the entire world. Minister to your children as if it's the entire world. Go into your gyms as if it's the entire world. You have such a minute sphere of influence, but if you won't do it, who will? You see what I'm saying? He's not just telling them where to go. He's telling them where not to go. And here we are running ourselves ragged trying to achieve this discipleship mandate, this commission of God when he's saying, who are you in front of tomorrow morning? Who are your customers? Who are your vendors? Who are the people? I, who, what is the sphere of influence I've placed you? Specifically you in front of. And guess what? If we would all do our part in our sphere, we'll reach every sphere. It's really the the best business model there is. It's really the the greatest tactic, marketing, advertising, you know, whatever you want to call it, tactic that there is to reaching the entire world. But the enemy has tricked us into thinking, if I'm not doing it on a vast scale, I'm not doing anything at all. And he causes you to miss the the moments in life because you're looking for some vast miracle. You're looking for this big opportunity on a stage in front of thousands, and you're missing that you have a stage and a platform right in front of you on a daily basis to show people Jesus. I'm talking about the mission of the church. Verse 7, as you go, proclaim, here it is, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, I wonder if that has been the focal point of our mission. I wonder if that's been our emphasis. Have we been proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven has come near? Or have we been proclaiming that one day you will go there? Jesus had this in reverse. Jesus had their emphasis in their efforts toward helping people understand it's here and now, not then and there. You see the difference? Again, maybe... We are getting frustrated with the results. Maybe our statistics are showing that people are walking away from the church in a faster pace and a faster rate than ever before, that the church is in decline and attendance is in decline. Well, maybe if we would get back to the things that he said we should be doing, we might see better results. We might see this thing be fruitful. And I'm just going to go ahead and just lay this out. I can take you all the way to the end. It will be fruitful. It will accomplish. It's not up for question. It's not up for debate. The church will accomplish. It's just a matter of will you and I be a part of that? That, that's, That's the only question. God will achieve his purpose. He has proven time and time again, if I can't use you, I will find someone else. But I would love to use you. I would would love to make my presence manifest through your life. I would love to see disciples created from your discipleship and followership. I would love to see the kingdom expanded and increased through your gifts and abilities. But if he can't use you, he'll go on to the next. He can't use Moses to get him in. He'll raise up Joshua. Y'all hearing me? I don't know about you, but this, this is stuff that I don't want to be on the sidelines watching. I don't want to rule myself out of what he has put me right in the middle of. He says, as you go, proclaim, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons, freely you received, freely give. Now, he is not proposing this as pick and choose what part of ministry you want to operate in. You know, a lot of times we treat Christianity like buying a vehicle. What do I want that vehicle to have in it? Okay, so there's the base model. And then we can upgrade to the one with the chrome wheels. We can go from the two by four to the four by four. We can go uh, from, uh, you know, just basic bucket seats to, you know, the bench. You can go from cloth to leather. You can get them heated. You can get them heated and cooled. You can get them to heat and cool at the same time. So we treat Christianity like we're driving through a dealership saying, "Um, yeah, you can add in repentance um, yep, I'll do that one. Holy Spirit, I don't need that feature. That's that's a little too much. That's a little gaudy. That's a little showy. I, I don't need all that. I don't need it that tricked out. <laughs> Healing the sick, ah, you know. We we have to pick and choose. He's not presenting it that way. He's saying you're going to preach the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Well, I can't do any of that, Pastor Mark. I know you can't, and so does he. That's why he takes you back to the first verse and says, I give you authority. I'm authorizing you. If anybody challenges you or questions you, you just say, heaven authorized me. I'm here to bind I'm here to loose. Well, you can't be doing that. Who do you think you are? I am an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. I'm here on kingdom work. And I'm here to undo everything you're trying to put in place. And I'm here to loose the kingdom in this sphere of influence. Now, I just made it sound a lot easier than it really is. And I understand that. But a lot of times we forget that God works from infancy up to maturity. God is not an overnight God. Revival, it's already begun. It's just an infancy stage where we don't really give it a lot of attention. We don't think it's really capable of doing stuff. Revival starts in prayer closets. It doesn't start in church services with people falling out everywhere. Infancy. And so he tells them he heal the sick. It's the same as the Great Commission, as we read in Matthew 28, Mark 16. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you lay hands on the sick, they will what? Recover. So it's a different approach that yields different results. Now, go down to verse 16. You know, everything that we just read sounds amazing. Okay, so we've got kingdom ambassadors, we've got disciples making disciples, going into these cities, going into these environments, and literally destroying the works of the devil. But you know what you're going to find when you go into an environment and start destroying the works of the devil? People enjoy the works of the devil. You try to bring your kingdom and they're trying to build theirs. Hello? And so in verse 16, Jesus changes tone. He gives you all the exciting stuff up front, just like a cell phone contract. Here's the fine print at the bottom. Of the con- or buying a vehicle, right? You show you all the good stuff, and then down to below in the small little print is the payment and how many months, and the interest rate, and do you want to warranty protection, and all the other mess that they put on there. But here's what happens in verse 16 Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Well, that's unfair. That's- wow, thank you, Jesus. You know, I was was all in on the healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, laying hands on the sick, they recover, speaking in new tongues, you know, making disciples, baptizing people. By the way, um, when you get there, they're not going to be happier there. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. And if you look up, you see people literally backing out of the circle like, nope. Nope. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, Don't worry about how or what you are to speak for you will be given what to say at that hour because it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you brother will betray brother to death and a father his child children will rise up against parents and have them put to death you will be hated by everyone because of my name but the one who endures to the end will be saved have fun see you later guys call me when you get back basically he says and if you make it you'll be saved This is a great marketing approach. This is great advertisement for the kingdom. What's he identifying? You are disrupting things when you go in there bringing the kingdom of God. This is not just be our leader, our, our little meek, meager selves. Do as little as possible. You know, don't disrupt. Don't make anybody feel weird. You know, we, we have bought into that lie for long enough. It's time for the church to take on some boldness and recognize, you know what? We're going to turn over some tables and we're going to flip some things upside down. And people are going to be mocking us and they're gonna, we're going to be the crazed ones. And you're going to have to wear a shirt that says, yeah, I go to that church but recognize that that's when the kingdom of God has truly come. This is not something that we're going to just prance our way through until Jesus returns. He's talking about something that is demonstrative, disruptive in nature. You know, maybe we haven't seen the persecution and the threats on this level because we don't ourselves pose a threat to the kingdom as they did, the kingdom of darkness. You know, he reads that verse, uh, you know, trial and tribulation is coming. But then he says, what? Be of good cheer. You know, a lot of times, you know, we use that verse and it has relevance that, you know, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle in life. We're going to go through things. But if you really look at the context of a believer struggling and the believer going through things, it was more as a result of their witness and advancement of the kingdom of God not just because life has struggles and turmoils. He says, be of good cheer. It's hard to reconcile trial and tribulation, but be of good cheer. If you're just going through life and bad thing after bad thing comes against you. And we have those. But the be of good cheer is much easier to swallow and much easier to reconcile when you understand that the reason why I can be of good cheer is because in the midst of the mockery, in the midst of the oppression, in the midst of the threats, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of it getting darker and darker, the kingdom of God is advancing. The kingdom of God is going forth. We're making a change, and yes, it might be a little disruptive, but that's the way it's supposed to be. It's time to stop with the the goofy church, the silly church the playing games church the checking the boxes church the doing as little as possible church it's time to be the demonstrative disruptive church that ends up in a community and doesn't become like it but transforms it to make it look like the kingdom of heaven where the gospel is going forth and we cannot lend ourselves to the wrong indications of success We have measured success in the church by things that Jesus Christ himself never intended for the church to be measured by. Growth, attendance, square footage, acreage. You know, just about every single person that was successful for the kingdom of God went through massive periods of diminishing, lack, deficiency, people walking away from them. I mean, you know, you can find a lot of God's greatest generals in the Bible at moments of isolation. Abraham, standing on a miracle for 25 years, standing on a promise, believing for a miracle. Even his own wife laughed at one point. Gideon ended up taking an army of merely a meager 300 against over 30,000 Midianites. Because they left, they abandoned. David one time ended up so alone that the Bible says he had to strengthen himself in the Lord. He didn't even have his own buddy to strengthen him anymore. His own buddy abandoned him and says, you've gone too far now, David. Jesus went to the cross by himself. When his disciples started leaving him, he looked at the the 12, you know, the ones you could really count on. And he looked at them and said, you going to go too? Paul, writing to the Philippians, said, I have no one else like-minded except Timothy. Yeah, see, when we, we, when we use the wrong measurements and we use the wrong indications of is the church really being successful, then we're going to come to the wrong results. We're going to believe the wrong things about what success in the church looks like. And then we're going to also believe on the flip side what failure in the church. That church must be failing. They must not be doing. They might be doing the exact thing they were called to, and it's driving people away. You know, one of the most successful prophets in the Old Testament was Jeremiah. You know who he won? Nobody. And God told him up front, you're going to preach, and nobody's going to listen to you. Anybody want that assignment? If we're handing out assignments, who wants to go to the community that it's guaranteed they're not going to listen to you, but God just needs to use you as a mouthpiece to say, at least I told you. (laughs) I mean, nobody's running for that assignment. We want the global reach, right? We want the large buildings. We want to build upon build upon build. And those things are great. I'm not devaluing or diminishing those things. We're doing those things. But we have to understand what true success and increase in the kingdom looks like and not let the world tell us you're losing it, you're diminishing. I keep preaching the same message whether there's two people on this front row or whether the whole place is full. It won't change. The content remains the same. You can't be moved by people. Jesus wasn't moved by people. You know, Jesus was six months removed from going to the cross and his best friend got up in his face and said, may it never be. I'll make sure that doesn't happen to you. And he had to look Peter in the eye and say, get thee behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block. What's he saying? You're not going to keep me as close as we are. You're not going to keep me from achieving the mission and the purpose for which I was sent. Worship team, if you go ahead and come on. I've got more, but I, at the end of the day, I think you get the, the gist. The church is designed to be disruptive in nature. And that doesn't mean we're going to be crazy and fanatical and maniacs. And no, we're not, we're not going to manufacture it. We're just going to let God do what he does. But I'm not moved whether they receive it or whether they don't. Not moved. Paul told Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. You know what that really means? When they receive it and when they don't. When they want it and when they reject it and resist it. You stay with the mission. You stay with the purpose. You stay with what God has called you to do. I'll leave you with this last thought. I said earlier that in an endeavor to relate to the world, we have actually crippled our capacity to reflect the kingdom. And here's the final statement I want to leave you with. What I relate to, I become a reflection of. What I relate to, I become a reflection of. Just in our own personal lives, you can close your eyes, you can bow your head. This is personal thought time. Just challenge yourself right now. Have I done more to relate to the world than to the kingdom? Have I done more to relate to what's around me out of fear of what they might say or what they might think? If I tell them I believe that or if I tell them I go there, if I tell them I'm this. You can have all the if questions, but God will solve all that. God will solve all that. Refusing and refraining to stand for what we know to stand for, for the sake of others. It's just not the kingdom way to do it. We may have every motive and we may have every justifiable reason, but God's put you in the sphere of influence he's put you in for such a time as this. I believe that more of us are in Esther moments than we know. But you've been placed there. You've been called there. For some of you, it might seem like a mistake that you've ended up in this place. God doesn't do mistakes. And even if it was out of a personal mistake and a, something you caused, God knows how to redeem it, make it all work together for His good. I just want us all to have a moment where we just understand that you are right where you need to be. Quit letting the devil make you feel inferior and inadequate. Quit letting the devil make you think you're not doing enough. You can't have influence there. Those people don't believe you. They don't care. He's put you right where you need to be. Now be the difference. Father, we just come to you right now with a yielded heart, a yielded heart to your plan yielded heart to your assignment I thank you Holy Spirit as you've been speaking to us even now helping us understand that maybe the very season or place that we are in right now that we've been resisting and rejecting could be the very place where you're going to do your greatest work may we not think it's too small May we not think it's too far gone. May we not think that we're too small. Or we're unable. Or we're inadequate. But we have the greater one living inside of us. And you're prompting us. And just as Jesus told his disciples, don't worry about what to say. Because my Holy Spirit, the Spirit that comes from the Father, He will tell you what to say. He'll tell you exactly what to say. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com.